0: Hello and welcome to Storytime with Shining Nathan. If you followed us here from TikTok or YouTube, we're so happy you're here. If you found us organically, welcome, you're in for a treat as Shining Nathan, or as people like to call him, your gay auntie, will be reading you stories throughout literary history. So grab yourself something to eat, drink, and get all cuddled up while Shining Nathan takes you on a literary adventure. Be sure to follow us on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, and subscribe for future stories. Hello sweet peas and sugar dumplings, this is your gay auntie, Shining Nathan, here again for another fantastic spooky season story time. I first want to apologize for not posting last week as I was currently under the weather. I'm still going too well, but I'm getting much better bit by bit. Now, if you followed me here organically, welcome baby, please sit down and enjoy. And if you came here for my TikTok, as always, I'm so happy you're here. If you love the content I create, please remember to go follow my Patreon or follow me in all my socials so I can continue making all of this fantastic content. My Patreon's patreon.com forward slash Nathan. As always, I'm happy you're here. Now sit down, enjoy a little moment, get all cuddled up for a horrifying story, and this one's brought to you by H.P. Lovecraft, and it is... The Hound. In my tortured ears there sounds unceasingly a nightmare whirring and flapping, and a faint distant baying of some gigantic hound. It is not a dream, it is not. I fear even madness, for too much has already happened to give me these merciful doubts. St. John is a mangled corpse. I only know why, and such is my knowledge that I'm about to blow out my brains. For fear I shall be mangled in the same way. Down, unlit and illimitable corridors of Eldred's fantasy sweeps the black, shapeless nemesis that drives me to self-annihilation. May heaven forgive the folly and morbidity which led us both to so monstrous a fate. Wearied with the commonplaces of a prosaic world where even the joys of romance and adventure soon grew stale, St. John and I had followed enthusiastically every aesthetic and intellectual movement which promised respite from our devastating ennui. The enigmas of the symbolists and the ecstasies of the pre-wow all were ours in their time. But each new mood was drained too soon of its diverting novelty and appeal. Only the somber philosophy of the decadence could hold us, and this we found potent only by increasing gradually the depth and diabolism of our penetrations. D'Aubelay and Halsman's were soon exhausted of thrills Till finally there remained for us only the more direct stimuli Of unnatural personal experiences and adventures It was this frightful emotional need Which led us eventually to that detestable course Which even my present fear I mentioned With shame and timidity that hideous extremity of human outrage the abhorrent practice of grave robbing i I cannot reveal the details of our shocking expeditions or catalog even part of the worst of the trophies adorning the nameless museum we prepared in the great stone house where we jointly dwelt alone and servantless. Our museum was a blasphemous, unthinkable place, where with the satanic taste of neurotic vitresy we had assembled a universe of terror and decay to excite our jaded sensibilities. It was a secret room. Far, far underground were huge winged demons Carving of basalt and onyx vomited from wide grinning mouths Weird green and orange light and hidden pneumatic pipes Ruffled with kaleidoscopic dances of death The lines of red charnel things hand in hand Woven in voluminous black hangings Through these pipes came at will the odors of moods most craved. Sometimes the scent of pale funeral lilies. Sometimes the necrotic incense of imagined eastern shrines of kingly dead. And sometimes, oh, how I shudder to recall it. The frightful, soul-upheaving stenches of the Uncovered Grave. Around the walls of this repellent chamber were cases of antique mummies alternating with comely, lifelike bodies perfectly stuffed and cured by the taxidermist's art and with headstones snatched from the oldest churchyards of the world. Niches here and there contained skulls of all shapes and heads preserved in various stages of dissolution. There one might find the rotting bald pates of famous noblemen, and the fresh and radiantly golden heads of newly buried children. Statues and paintings there were, all the finest subjects, and some executed by St. John and myself. A locked portfolio, bound in tanned human skin, held certain unknown and unnameable drawings which it was rumored Goya had perpetrated, but dared not acknowledge. There were nauseous musical instruments, stringed brass and woodwind, one which St. John and I sometimes produced dissonance of exquisite morbidity and carphodiamaniacal ghastliness, whilst in a multitude of inlaid ebony cabinets repose the most incredible and unimaginable variety of tomb loot ever assembled by human madness and perversity. It is of this loot in particular that I must not speak, thank God. I had the courage to destroy it long before I thought of destroying myself the predatory excursions on which we collected our unmentionable treasures were always artistically memorable events we were not vulgar ghouls but worked only under certain conditions of mood landscape environment weather season and moonlight These pastimes were to us the most exquisite form of aesthetic expression, and we gave their details a fastidious technical care, an inappropriate hour, a jarring lighting effect, or a clumsy manipulation of the damp soil would almost totally destroy for us the ecstatic titillation which followed the exhumation of some ominous grinning secret of the earth. Our quest for novel scenes and perquaint conditions was feverish and satiate. St. John was always the leader, and he it was who led the way at last to that mocking, that accursed spot which brought us our hideous and inevitable doom. By what malign fatality were we lured to that terrible Holland churchyard. I, I think it was the dark rumor and legendary, the tales of one buried five centuries, who had himself been a ghoul in his time and had stolen a potent thing from a mighty sepulcher. I can recall the scene in these final moments. The pale autumnal moon over the graves casting long, horrible shadows, the grotesque trees drooping sullenly to meet the neglected grass and the crumbling slabs, the vast legions of strangely colossal bats that flew against the moon, the antique ivy church pointing a huge spectral finger in the livid sky. The phosphorescent insects that danced like death fires under the yews in a distant corner. The orders of mold, vegetation, and less explicable things that mingled feebly with the nightly wind from over far swamps and seas. And worst of all, the faint, deep-toned bayon of some gigantic hound which we could neither see nor definitely place. As we heard these suggestions of bayon we shuddered, remembering the tales of the peasantry, for he whom we sought had centuries before been found in this self same spot torn and mangled by the claws and teeth of some unspeakable beast. I remembered how we delved into the school's grave with our spades, and how we thrilled at the picture of ourselves, the grave, the pale watching moon, the horrible shadows, the grotesque trees, the titanic bats, the antique church, the dancing death fires, the sickening odors, the gently moaning night wind, and the strange, half-heard, directionless baying of whose objective existence we could scarcely be sure. (laughs) Then we struck a substance harder than the damp mold and beheld a rotten, oblong box crusted with mineral deposits from long, undisturbed ground. It was incredible tough and thick, but so old that we finally pried it open and feasted our eyes on what it held. Much, amazingly much, was left of the object despite the lapse of five hundred years. The skeleton, though crusted in places by the jaws of the thing that had killed it, held together with surprising firmness, and we gloated over the clean white skull and its long, firm teeth and its eyeless sockets that once had glowed with a charm no fever like our own. In the coffin lay an amulet of curious and exotic design, which had apparently been worn around the sleeper's neck. It was the oddly conventioning feature, figure of a crouched winged hound or sphinx with semi-canine face and was exquisitely carved in antique oriental fashion from a small piece of green jade. The expression on its features was repellent in the extreme, savoring at once of death, bestiality, and malevolence. Around the base was an inscription in characters which neither St. John nor I could identify, and on the bottom, like a mark of seal, was graven a grotesque and formidable skull. Immediately upon beholding this amulet, we knew we must possess it, that this treasure alone was our logical pelf from this centuried grave. Even had its outlines been unfamiliar, we would have desired it. But as we looked more closely, we saw it had not wholly unfamiliar. Alien indeed it was to all art and literature, which sane and balanced readers know. But we recognized it as the thing hinted of it forbidden necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Azred, the ghostly soul symbol of corpse-eaten cult, inaccessible lang in Central Asia. All too well did we trace the sinister liniments described by the old Arab demonologist. Liminence, We wrote, (laughs) drawn from some obscure supernatural manifestation of the souls of those who vexed and gnawed at the dead. Seizing the green jade object, we gave a last glance at the bleached and cavern-eyed face of its owner and closed up the grave as we found it. As we hastened from that abhorred spot, the stolen amulet in St. John's pocket, we thought we saw the bats— Descend in a body to the earth we had so lately rifted, as if seeking for some cursed and unholy nourishment. But the autumn moon shone weak and pale, and we could not be sure. So too, as we sailed the next day away from Holland to our home, we thought we heard the faint, distant baying of some such gigantic hound in the background. But the autumn wind mowed and sad and wane, and we we could not be sure. Less than a week after our return to England, strange things began to happen. We lived as recluses, devoid of friends, alone and without servants in a few rooms of ancient manor-house on a bleak and unfrequented moor, so that our doors were seldom disturbed by the knock of the visitor. Now, however, we were troubled by what seemed to be frequent fumblings in the night, not only around the doors, but around the windows also, upper as well as lower floors. Once we fancied that a large, opaque body darkened the library window when the moon was shining against it, and another time we thought we heard a whirring or flapping sound not far off. On each occasion, investigation revealed nothing, and we began to ascribe the occurrences to imagination alone. That same curiosity-disturbed imagination, which still prolonged in our ears the faint, far baying, we thought we had heard in the Holland churchyard. The jade amulet now reposed in a niche in our museum, and sometimes we burned strangely-scented candles before it. We read much in Alzerred's Necromomicon about its properties and about the relation of Ghoul's souls to the objects it symbolized, and were disturbed by what we read. Then terror came. On the night of September 24th, 1911, I heard a knock at my chamber door. Fancing at St. John's, I bade the knocker enter, but was answered only by a shrill laugh. In the corridor, when I aroused St. John from his sleep, he professed entire ignorance of the event and became as worried as I. It was that night that the faint distant baying over the moor became to us a certain and dreaded reality. Four days later... Whilst we were both in the hidden museum, there came a low, cautious scratching at the single door which led to the secret library staircase. Our alarm was now divided, for besides our fear of the unknown, we had always entertained a dread that our grisly collection might be discovered. Extinguishing all lights, we proceeded the door and threw it suddenly open, whereupon we felt an unaccountable rush of air and heard, as if receding far away, a queer combination of rustling, tittering, and articulate chatter. Whether we were mad, dreaming, or in our senses, we did not try to determine. We only realized, with the blackest of apprehensions, that the apparently disembodied chatter was beyond a doubt in the Dutch language. After that, we lived in growing horror, and fascination. Mostly we held to the theory that we were jointly going mad from our life of unnatural excitements, but sometimes it pleased us more to dramatize ourselves as the victims of some creeping and appalling doom. Bizarre manifestations were now too frequent to count. Our lonely house was seemingly alive with the presence of some malign being whose nature we could not guess, and every night that demonic bang rolled over those windswept moor always louder and louder. On october twenty ninth we found in the soft earth underneath the library window a series of footprints utterly impossible to describe as baffling as the hordes of great bats which haunted the old manor house in unprecedented and increasing numbers. The horror reached a culmination on November 18th, when St. John, walking home after dark from the distant railway station, was seized by some frightful carnivorous thing and torn to ribbons. His screams had reached the house, and then I had hastened to the terrible scene in time to hear a whir of wings and see a vague black, cloudy thing silhouetted against the rising moon. My friend was dying when I spoke to him, and he could not answer coherently. All he could do was whisper the amulet, the <coughs> then he he collapsed an inert mass of mangled flesh I, I buried him the next midnight in one of our neglected gardens and mumbled over his body one of the devilish rituals he had loved in life And as I pronounced the last demonic sentence, I heard afar on the moor, the faint baying of some gigantic hound. The moon was up, but I dared not look at it. And when I saw on the dim, litten moor, a wide nebulous shadow sweeping from mound to mound, I shut my eyes and threw myself face down upon the ground. When I arose trembling, I know not how much later, I staggered into the house and made shocking obsessence before the enshrined amulet of green jade. Now afraid to live alone in the ancient house on the moor, I departed on the following day for London. The amulet, after destroying by fire and burial the rest of the impious collection in the museum, but after three nights, I heard the baying again, and before a week was over, felt strange eyes upon me whenever it was dark. One evening, and as I strolled on Victorian embankment for some needed air, I saw a black shape obscure one of the reflections of the lamps in the water. A wind stronger than the night wind rushed by, and I knew that what had befallen St. John was soon befall me. The next day I carefully wrapped the green jade amulet and sailed for Holland. What mercy I might gain by returning the thing to its silent sleeping owner I knew not, but I felt that I must at least try any step conceivably logical.' What the hound was and why it pursued me were questions still vague, but I had first heard the baying in that ancient churchyard, and every subsequent event, including saint John's dying whisper, had served to connect the curse with the stealing of the amulet. Accordingly, I sank into the nethermost abysses of despair when, at an inn in Rotterdam, I discovered that the thieves had despoiled me of this sole (laughs) means of salvation. (laughs) The baying was loud that evening, and in the morning I read of the nameless deed in the vilest quarter of the city, the rabble were in terror, for upon an evil tenement had fallen a red death beyond the foulest previous crime of the neighborhood. In the squalid thieves' den an entire family had been torn to shreds by an unknown thing which left no trace, and those around had heard all night above the unusual clamor of drunken voices a faint, deep, incessant note as of a gigantic hound. So at last, I stood again in the unwholesome churchyard where a pale winter moon cast hideous shadows and leafless trees drooped suddenly to meet the wizard frosty grass and crackling slabs. And the ivy church pointed a jeering finger at the unfriendly sky. And the night wind howled manically from over frozen swamps and frigid seas. The bayon was very faint now, and it ceased altogether as I approached the ancient grave I had once violated and frightened away an abnormally large horde of bats which had been hovering curiously around it. I know not why I went thither unless to pray or give out insane pleas and apologies to the calm white thing that lay within. But whatever my reason, packed the half-frozen sod with a desperation partly mine and partly that of a dominating will outside myself, excavation was much easier than I expected, though at one point I encountered a queer interruption mean vulture darted down out of the cold sky and pecked frantically at the grave earth until I killed him with the blow of my spade. Uh, Finally, I reached the rotting oblong box and removed the damp nitrous cover. This is the last rational act I ever performed. For crouched within that centred coffin, embraced by a close-packed nightmare retinue of huge sinewy sleeping bats, was the bony thing my friend and I had robbed Not clean and placid, as we had seen it then, but covered with caked blood and shreds of alien flesh and hair, and leering sentiently at me with phosphorescent sockets and sharp Insanguinated face and fangs yawning twistingly in mockery of my inevitable doom. And when I gave from those grinning jaws a deep sardonic bay, as of some gigantic hound, and I saw that it held in its gory, filthy claws, the lost and fateful amulet of Jade Green, I merely screamed. And ran away idiotically, my screams soon dissolving into peals of historical laughter. Madness <laughs> rides the star wind, claws and teeth sharpened on centuries of corpses, drip in death, astride of Bacchanal of bats from night black ruins of buried temples of Benali. Now. As the baying of the dead, fleshless monstrosity grows louder and louder, and the stealthy, whirving and flapping of those accursed webbed wings circle closer and closer, (laughs) I shall seek with my revolver the oblivion with which only refuge from the unnamed and unnameable. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Storytime with Shining Nathan. If you did, remember to subscribe and feel free to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you would like to support this channel and your gay auntie, go to patreon.com forward slash If you have any suggestions on pieces we can read, feel free to email us at yourgayauntie at gmail.com. Remember, you are loved, you are fully valid. And we're so happy you're here. You take care of yourself.